quickly. We don't have much time, and we've got a, a, lot, of, a lot of stuff to cover out of this text, so listen quickly. And uh, I, I love this. I, I know that Luke 2 is that text that you have heard preached from maybe every Christmas of your life. <laughs> You've heard lots of sermons out of Luke chapter 2, but it's, it's just so rich as we come to it and we see the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I read it, though, there, there's one thing that sticks out to me, and it is just simply that it's just so ordinary. It's this big, momentous occasion. It is life-changing. It is revolutionary. It changes the world, but yet it's, it's so ordinary. I expect there to be fireworks, but there are none. Maybe a parade to go through town, but there's no parade. Maybe there to be laughing and dancing, but none of this takes place. The world goes on as normal, and there's a decree laid out by Caesar Augustus. He was this Roman leader, and he laid out this decree that everyone is to come back to their homeland for a census. They would use the census, and they would use it for tax purposes, for military enlistment. And so the people are moving. They're all headed back towards their, their home place. And that's how we begin this, the story of the birth of the Savior of the world. Notice there's, 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 no, there's no Santa Claus involved. There's no elf on the shelf. There's no reindeer. There's no Christmas tree. There's no Christmas lights. It's just Mary and Joseph, and they're traveling on this trip. Look with me there in chapter 2, verse 4. It says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Now, we realize that Joseph would not have chosen to make this journey, especially at this stage when his wife is about to go in labor. But he has to. He can't resist. And so they begin to make this long journey. The journey is between 70 and 80 miles. Now, remember, they don't have a car they don't have a train, so they're making this journey, and, and Mary is, she's pregnant. I don't mean she's a little bit pregnant. She is very, very pregnant. Can you imagine the trip? Can you imagine going mile after mile after mile on this harsh terrain in this state, but yet they, they go, they continue? Now, most believe that Mary did not have to go. Maybe she went because... She knew the sovereignty of God, and she wanted to go. Maybe she went because her only partner was, was Joseph. And as Mary would go into town, and she would go into Walmart, all the other ladies would look, and they would point, and they would laugh, and they would whisper behind her back, what is that woman? Can you believe that she is pregnant before she is married? And so maybe she just sticks so close to Joseph because that's her partner. And so they begin to make this long, treacherous journey all the way. And now look at verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them <clears throat> in the inn. In simple, direct language, Luke presents to us the Christmas story. 
They come into town, and because it's so crowded and everybody's coming into town, there's no place for them to stay. It says there's no room in the inn. So they go and they, they find a place, and we see that Jesus is born. The Savior of the world comes to us. God in the flesh, God incarnate has arrived. And we see that Mary takes the baby, wraps him in these swaddling cloths, takes this, this linen, wraps him up. It, it keeps him warm. It gives him a sense of security. And then the animals are all around, and she goes, and maybe she finds a little bit of hay, and she uses that to give a little cushion, and she places baby Jesus into that manger. And what do you think? It's just ordinary. And maybe it's even less than ordinary because what we see is we see uh, poverty. We see that there's nothing that marks a king. We see obscurity. We even see rejection because there's, there's no room for him. The animals are around, and it's not a, a pretty nativity scene like we're used to. You know the nativity scenes to where there's a, a pretty cow, and a cow's holding a candle. Then there's a, a donkey over here, and the donkey's smiling. That's not the picture of this day. It was, it was dark. It was, it was dirty. It didn't smell good. It was not a pleasant environment. But in that, we see the king of kings is born. The king of kings who would change the world as we know it has come to dwell with us, to be a part of this. Reminds me of Philippians 2, where the Bible says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus did not get a sterile delivery room. He did not get the best medical professionals of the day. His birth was ordinary. I think there are several things that we can learn from it. That's what we're going to look at really quickly this morning. First thing I see is this. Extraordinary moments happen at Christmas. Extraordinary moments happen at Christmas. Look at verse 8. We're just going right on through the text. Verse 8. And in the same region, <clears throat> there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by the night. Now, among occupations, shepherding was a very lowly place. They were the outcast of society. They may own a small portion of land, but it was not enough to provide for their families. And so they would go and they would take the sheep of other people and they would manage their flocks. And so this is what they would do. Day after day after day, they would spend time with the flock and they would watch over them. Their social calendar was not filled. They didn't have a lot of relationships. There was not a lot of money. There was no power. There was no prestige. These folks are really the nobodies. But the Luke 2 announcement comes, and it does not come to the powerful. It does not come to the mighty. It does not come to the rich or the famous. It doesn't come to the prestigious. But notice that the message comes, and it comes to the outcast. It comes to the humble. It comes to those who are considered last on the social list. And to these men, God brought the first news of the son's arrival. 
I find that so interesting. And it hits me because I think if we're honest, every one of us, there are times in our life that we struggle with insecurity. There are times in our life that we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, man, I'm really messed up. Somebody nod your head. Don't know I'm not the only one that does that. We look in the mirror and we say, man, if God was going to use somebody, it surely wouldn't be me because I've got so many flaws and I've got so many weaknesses and so many times I've messed up and so many things that I've done wrong. I am totally ordinary. You ever feel like that? Surely God cannot use me because there are so many people who have so many gifts that are better. And I begin to think about all the things that, that I've done. I don't have time to go through them, but uh, if you know my, my story, there was a time I made a joke in a funeral, and it was a terrible joke. It was terrible. And I left this place, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I don't ever want to do this again. There's times that I baptized, and I baptized an individual, and I called him the wrong name over and over and over again. Just mess up. There's a time I was doing the invitation, and that's a solemn time, you know, and you're here, and everybody's singing, you're Lord's moving, you're waiting for great things to happen. There's a little girl on the front, and she kept going, Psst, and I ignored it, you know. I'm trying to stay in the spirit here, so I'm ignoring what she's doing, and she keeps on, Psst. and so finally I say, sweetie, what is it? And she said, your fly's undying, you know, and <clears throat> you just want to leave. And, and I always felt bad about that, but then I was here when Brother Charles's pants fell all the way down, and, you know, that made me feel a whole lot better. But there are these times... <clears throat> There are these times in life that you just feel like, God, if you're going to use somebody, it surely cannot be me. I wish that I was something else. I wish I had better gifts, better abilities, better talents, but I don't. But I'm reminded that God chooses, and listen, God uses the ordinary. God chooses, and God uses the ordinary over and over and over again. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Amen? Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Even the earliest disciples, five were just fishermen. One was a tax collector. Uh, the others, we don't know what they did for a living, but they had no status of wealth or of education, and God used them. Listen, I don't care this morning about your past. I don't care about your baggage. I don't care what you think your weaknesses are. I want you to realize that God desires to use you. God wants to use you for his kingdom. Don't think so lowly of yourself that you put God in a box and you say, God can't use me because God's big enough to use you and to use me. If you look in your Bible, you're going to find over and over again that God uses the weak. Noah, Noah got off the boat, and do you remember what he did? He got drunk, a messed up guy. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Jacob was a liar. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stutter. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Job was bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The Samaritan woman, she was divorced many times. Paul was too religious. Zacchaeus was too small. And Lazarus 
Lazarus was too dead. But God used them. God used each one of these in great ways. Listen, our Bible is full of people who would have said, I'm not good enough. But God said, watch what I can do through you. God chooses and God uses ordinary people. But we also see that extraordinary events happen on ordinary days. Look at verse 8. Again, it says, in the region, the shepherds were in the field. They're keeping watch over their flock by night. What are they doing? They're not doing anything exciting. They're watching their flock. It's just a normal day. It's not a momentous day. There's nothing special. There's no pomp and circumstance on this day. It's an ordinary day, but it's on an ordinary day that the Lord shows up. You know one thing I believe? I believe that God wants to use you in the ordinary days of your life. God wants to use you when you're at your job. And you think it's just a Monday day at your job, but God wants to use you. When you're with your family this week and they're all coming around, God wants to use you in that circumstance. God wants to use you on the ordinary days of life. If we're not careful, we look so forward to the big days that we miss the most important days. At our house, we've got this plate in the kitchen. It's a plate, and it's got a ribbon that runs around it, and Mama will take it, and she's got a marker, and she will mark on that plate, and it turns into a countdown ticker. So we will count down the days till Christmas, 10 days, 9 days, 8 days, and then we'll count down the days till maybe spring break, because we look forward to that. And then we'll count down the days to summer vacation, and all this stuff we're counting down the days to, but the best days in life happen on the countdown. The best days in life happen in the, the normalness of life. Listen, you're not a great father on a vacation. You're a great father or a great mother on the normal days of life when you wake up and you make a pancake for your kids and you play catch in the backyard. That's where it happens. You're a great spouse on the normal days of life to where you love your wife or you love your husband in a great way. Don't miss the special moments of the day looking toward the future. This is the day the Lord's blessed us with. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I think it hurts us when we get on social media. When you look on social media, we see all the big events, don't we? You see a family and they've got this professional uh, picture and they just, everybody looks perfect. And then you look at your family and in my house, Kaysen has spaghetti all in her hair, and it's like, I don't, we don't have that. And maybe you look on social media, and there's this, this picture-perfect marriage with this fancy vacation, and then you realize, I can't afford that. I, I can't do that. On social media, everything looks good. Even the, the people that are your age, they, they get on, and they have no wrinkles. They look like they're just perfect. They're not. It's a filter on their phone that just blurs the wrinkles out, but it looks perfect. Listen, it's not. Life is not about the big moments. It's about the little moments where everything's not perfect, everything's not lining up into place, but we let God use us in the small moments. God shows up in the ordinary times of life. But then I want you to see this. Extraordinary gifts come at Christmas. Extraordinary gifts come at Christmas. Look at verse 9 and 10. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news 
of great joy that will be for all the people. Number one, there is a gift of salvation. Notice he said, I bring you what? I bring you good news. What is that good news? That good news is the message of salvation. That good news is the gospel message. You think about your life, what is the best news you could hear today? Maybe it would be that you're getting promoted at your job and it comes with a big raise. Maybe you hear that you're getting a big pension and you can retire and live a life of ease. Maybe the best news would be a phone call from the doctor that says, everything is fine, there's nothing to worry about. That's all good news, but listen, it does not compare to the good news that we see here. The good news is the gospel message. Luke goes on to write in Acts, and he mentions this good news. He says in Acts 8, 12, But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts 10, 36, it says, As for the word that he sent out, as for the word that he sent out to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. What is the good news? The good news is that Christ has come into the world to save us. It is the verse that we know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Listen, with Christmas, we get the good news. Without it, there is no good news. So what if you have a lot of money, but you don't have salvation? So what if you've got all the world has to offer, but you're separated from God for all of eternity? What does it matter if you have all the good news of the world, but you don't have Jesus? It says in Mark 8, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So there is the gift of salvation, but there's also the gift of great joy we see in the verse. This salvation brings great joy. I spent some time this week, and I looked at some headlines. I saw these headlines. The first one I saw was, it is the, the tales of the miseries of the rich and the famous. And it was a huge article that talked about people who had money and they had power and they had prestige, but you know what they are? They're miserable. I saw another one, it said, celebs prove that money cannot buy happiness. Another that said, rich and famous, but not happy. And we see these folks who have everything that we could want in life, but we read about they're going back in rehab. Their marriage is falling apart again. Their children are rebelling. They're not happy, they're on drugs, they're addicted. Everything's falling apart and we say, how does that happen when you have everything you could want in life? Here's how it happens, understand this. The world cannot give joy. The world doesn't have the possibility to give joy. It's just not enough. Joy comes from Jesus. Joy comes from the Lord. I want you to ask this question. When people see me, do they see joy? When people see my life, when people see your life, do they see a joy that passes all understanding? A joy that's not based on circumstance, a joy that's not based upon where I'm at and what I'm doing, but a joy that's based upon the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you known as a joyful individual? Why? Not because of who you are, but because of what Jesus has done in your life. It says in Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. 
It says in Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. If you want to point to the Lord Jesus Christ, we must be joyful. There's the gift of salvation. There's the gift of joy. But thirdly, there's the gift of availability. You'll notice he said it is for all the people. I don't care this morning if you're black or white. I don't care if you're Hispanic or Asian. I don't care if you're rich or if you're poor. I don't care if you celebrate Hanukkah or Kwanzaa. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you live in. Listen, Christmas is for all people. It says, for God so loved the world. That is his desire to reach the lost and the dying world around us. When folks come and they want to minimize Christmas and they want to say happy holidays, listen, they may not get it, they may not understand it, but Christmas is for them. The birth of Jesus is not just for the church, it's for everybody around us. Our job is to share that because it is such good news. And then let's go on. I know we got to hurry. I see what time it is. Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Number three, we see that extraordinary relationships occur at Christmas. Number one, what is this child? He's our Savior. He's our Savior. We live in a culture who is looking for salvation all around us. And lately, we have believed it's going to be in this, this vaccine, this shot. And for the last few years, we've, we've watched for it. We longed for it when the pandemic started. If we could find this vaccine, then everything would be okay. And then we, we get the vaccine, then the Delta variant comes out. And then we learn that, you know, you're going to not go to the hospital, but you can still catch it and spread it. And then this new Omicron variant comes out, and now they say it's not really effective. We're going to need another shot. And so we're looking. We're saying, where does, where does the salvation come from? Maybe it's in modern medicine. Maybe it's in the economy. Let's give more money out. Let's feed the people. Let's make everybody on the same page. Then we can have joy and we can have salvation. But it's never going to work. It's not enough. The only salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to understand where salvation comes from. If God had perceived our greatest need was money, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent a comedian or an artist. If he'd perceived our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent a politician. If he'd perceived our greatest need was health, he would have sent a doctor. But he perceived our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death, and he sent us a savior. He is our savior, but the text continues and says, who is Christ? He is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one who is anointed that has come to give, give us deliverance, to deliver us from our sin. He is Christ, but he's also, look, he's Christ the Lord. He's the Lord, the Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is deity. It means that he's the one who is in charge of my life. That one verse tells you about the relationship that we have with Jesus. This is what he is. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And the last thing we see is an extraordinary response occurs at Christmas. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, 
the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let us go. Let us seek. What's your response this Christmas season? Number one, we seek Jesus. You hear that? We seek Jesus. What do we do? We don't seek all the stuff around Christmas, but we seek after Jesus. Matthew 6 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want you to think about your life. Are you seeking after Jesus? What do you seek after? Do you seek after money, popularity, the approval of man, or do you seek after Jesus? And then there's a response of sharing. Look at verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. They shared it with others. There's a response of sharing. And then they praised in verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let me ask you to close your eyes, bow your head. We see that they come to Jesus. We see that they share Jesus. And then we see that they praise Jesus. That's the response. We've seen a lot in this short amount of time together. But I want you to think about it. A few things we looked at. Number one, we see that God chooses and God uses the ordinary. I want you to know that God can use you. He wants to use you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you come from, God desires to use you. No matter how young you are, or how old you are, God desires to use you. Number two, we see the gifts. The gifts that come through Jesus. The gift of salvation, the gift of joy, the gift of availability. These gifts should change our life. You've been saved by the blood of Jesus. Smile about it. You've got a joy in your heart. Let that change you. Share that message with the world around you. And what is Christ? He's our Savior. He's the Christ. He's our Lord. And that changes the way that we live because we seek after him with all of our heart. Lord, we thank you for this time we've had together. Thank you for these who have come to this early service. Lord, I pray that you've been honored. And I pray this Christmas season, Lord, we'll realize it's all about you. It's not about us, but it's all about you. Thank you that you use us. Thank you for the gifts that you bring us. Lord, now may we honor you with the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we live our life. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.